Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Joining myself, Marcus Speller, and Jonathan Wilson today is Tom Williams, a contributor to Bleacher Report, ESPN, The Independent, and, and many others, and the author of Do You Speak Football. Tom, lovely to have you with us. Thank you, Marcus. Lovely to be here. We are travelling back to the 2006 World Cup quarterfinal between Brazil and France today. Tom, why have you chosen this game? So the thinking behind choosing this game was that it gives us an opportunity to talk about Zinedine Zidane. Mm-hmm. This was arguably his finest performance in a front shirt um, coming right towards the end of his career uh, we saw Zidane at his sinewy balletic elegant best and, and there was occasionally a criticism of Zidane I think this is perhaps more after his career than, than while it was ongoing that he would decorate games without ever really running them and this game he bosses from start to finish from his first touch of the ball to the final whistle in so doing ends the World Cup careers of some of the most decorated Brazilian footballers of, of recent times. Um, so yeah, a chance to to wax lyrical about Zidane, which is always a pleasure, to talk <laughs> about the unexpected blossoming, blossoming of that France team, um, and also to talk about Brazil and the fact that you know, they went into that tournament thinking they were going to be able to just blow everyone away, as they had done four years previously, and 
partly as a consequence of what happened in 2006. They've never really been the same team since. There's quite a lot to quite a lot to unpick. Hopefully, mm. I mean, yeah, the, the the game was you know two heavyweights of international football certainly in recent times. Uh, Brazil were, I think they were on a, a 11 game winning streak in, in World Cup matches. France ended that. Um, I mean, Jonathan, you, you will obviously remember the game. What did you think when these two sides were drawn against each other? Well, I mean, they had a, a great history of, of playing against each other in World Cups. Mm. I mean, one of the one of the, the games that, that I, you know, I really remember from my childhood. One of the games that really made me love the World Cup was was that um, quarter final in in 1986, um, which finished one one. Michel Platini missed a penalty on his birthday. Uh, and then the game goes to penalties. Carlos should have been sent off, a Brazil goalkeeper, and was sort of, oh no, he schemacked them again. <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, France ended up winning on on penalties, and you know, the, the penalty hits the post and comes back, hits Carlos in the back of the head, and goes in. Um, at the time, I uh, I, I, really, I despised Carlos, and I was doing my uh, <laughs> doing my goalkeeper's book. I I, uh, I tried I wanted to interview him because I wanted to. I did a chapter on Bra- Brazilian keepers, so I, I, I'd spoken to. Uh, Valdir Perez, I'd, um, I'd, I tried to get Tafarel and failed. Um, yeah, I'd uh, yeah, sp- spoken to, to uh, uh, what was he called? Um, played for San Paolo in 92, uh, Zecchi. And then I was around at, at Zecchi's goalkeeping school uh, to speak to him. And who should be there? Apparently a cup of tea, having claimed he was out of the state. But Carlos. <laughs> and I did... This is not what we came here to talk about. But, uh, I ended up, uh, he, he sort of grudgingly agreed to give me two minutes and we had like an hour's chat and it's one of the best interviews I've, I've ever, I mean, he was essentially talking at me, but um, him just going through the neuroses of being a goalkeeper and how he really wanted to be an architect because he was quite good at football. All his friends and his parents made mm. him be a footballer, but he really dreamed of being an architect. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, this fascinating figure. And then, you know, of course... Uh, you should have said to him after the interview, you should have said, you know, that was a really good interview. You're, you're good at these. You shouldn't <laughs> be so quick to dismiss him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and of course, the 98 final and sort of the controversy over Ronaldo yeah. and, and everything. And I guess that in... in I mean, it wasn't the, that, that final wasn't the game that made Zidane, but his two goals in that final maybe lend a, a gloss to that tournament for him that that, that wasn't entirely deserved given he you know, missed a huge chunk of it after being sent off in the group stage and uh, so yeah it, it was another part of that sequence of, of enormous France-Brazil games yeah so they played each other recently France obviously World Cup winners in 98 Brazil with the World Cup champions in 2002 and uh, you had a big old Ronaldo up front who'd been scoring the goal I mean the, the, the names in those two sides they're just real off the tongue don't they it's just phenomenal players each side boasted yeah, and you look at that Brazil team in particular and all the build-ups to that tournament was about the, the magic square. You know, that front four <laughs> yeah. of Kaká, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo and Adriano that they went into the tournament with with those four up front um, and all the Joga Bonito, Nike ad campaign around it. And you can sometimes forget um, quite how, how feared they were and, and what a sort of archetypal Brazil team it seemed and, and it seemed entirely natural that Brazil should go to a tournament and stick their most creative players their most dangerous attacking players all of them in the, in the starting 11 and then also be able to call upon Robinho off the bench and Janinho Panambucano off mm. the bench and yeah this incredible galaxy of, of, of Brazilian talent and, and I think in many ways that the last 
the last sort of classically Brazilian team in some ways that we've seen at a World Cup because I think one of the consequences of this game was that was that Brazil sort of lurched so far in the opposite direction that the team that you saw under Dunga at 2010 was a very disappointing, quite attritional team. The 2014 team, very dependent on Neymar. Um, and then, uh, obviously, lose him to injury and, and, and don't recover and succumb to that catastrophic thrashing by Germany and then even the, the, the team that went to the last World Cup which is probably the most coherent Brazil team of recent years didn't really get you on the edge of your seat but you went into the 2006 World Cup mm-hmm. thinking this is a proper Brazil team I mean like look at the players they've got in their lineup and on the other side of the halfway line yeah a France team that is is sleepwalking through its qualification campaign until Zidane and Lilian Turam and Claude Makélélé reverse their decisions to retire from international football, come back into the fold, get France over the line. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Zidane, who's announced on the eve of the tournament that he's going to retire from football at the end of it, so he's, he's playing out this swan song. You've got Franck Ribéry playing his first major tournament off the back of his first season at Marseille. You've got Patrick Vieira. You've got Thierry Henry up front as well. Um, so, yeah, talent on talent on both sides. But, but I think... I think it's important to remember the extent to which Brazil were were seen as the favourites before the game because of that incredible collection of attacking talent they had. Yeah, and and the way they performed at the World Cup as well, as you say, they they were scoring a lot of goals. They'd they'd brushed everyone aside. Okay, they weren't massively tested. Well, you could argue against Croatia actually in the, in the first game. Maybe they, they broke yeah, their. They struggled twice. against Croatia. They did a little. They, yeah. they, they they beat Australia two 0 mm-hmm. pretty comfortably. Beat Japan four one even yeah. more comfortably. And then that that Ghana last sixteen game, which. Well, I'm not sure how serious a game that was on the Ghanaian side, shall we say. I see. Um, and, and that's as far as we'll go there. But uh, but the French side, they struggled, as, as you mentioned earlier, Tom. They coughed and spluttered their way through the group. They were, you know, they'd gone out in the first round in 2002. Uh, people were concerned. And it was, the, the, the noises coming out from the, from the French camp weren't great. And, and Ramon Domenech is a... Is, is a funny figure, to, to say the least. So when they were drawn against Brazil, you thought to yourself, surely Brazil will, will go on here, because they were still many people's favourites to, to reach the final and win the cup. Yeah, I mean, France had been very underwhelming. Uh, nil-nil draw against Switzerland in their opener, a 1-1 draw against South Korea in their second game. Zidane is then suspended for the third game against Togo, and they managed to win that. Goals from Vieira and Henri, and they sort of limped their way into the knockout rounds. Zidane's been playing so badly that the question is asked whether he even deserves to be recalled for the last 16 game against Spain. Um, And then suddenly things click against Spain unexpectedly. France go behind to a David Villa penalty. um, Then Ribéry equalises just before half-time. And then after quite a cagey second half, France... Yeah, finally get in front a header from Vieira um, and then Zidane scores this fantastic goal <laughs> having kind of grown into the game himself he's sent free down the left hand side in stoppage time there's acres of space because Spain are pushing up in search of an equaliser he cuts inside Carlos Puyol and he puts a shot into the bottom left corner wrong footsie Gikasias um, and it was a very unexpected performance from France to, to, to throw the shackles off that successfully and you look at the Spain team as well I mean uh, Casillas, Ramos, Puyol, Fabregas, Xabi Alonso, Xavi, and then front three of David Villa, Raul, and Fernando Torres. So that was very much the <laughs> the spine of the team that would go mm. on to to dominate world football over the next few years. So you know, no pushovers. Um, and and in that match, France find this ability to to play effective tournament football. Zidane looks like he's getting back to his best. Um, and so yeah, find themselves in the quarterfinals perhaps a little bit unexpectedly given how 
poor they'd been in the group phase. Um, but yeah, very much second favourites against this this, galax- this galaxy of Brazil players. Mm. So the game gets underway. Well, I think the selection from Brazil is interesting. And yeah. Um, you know, as you said, the, the the talk before before the tournament had all been about this this magic quadru- quadrilateral, the two forwards with the, the two number tens behind them. Well, he didn't play that in this game. He, it was sort of a, a midfield diamond with Gilberto Silva at the back. They had been playing Emerson, the you know the Roma midfielder, uh, but I don't know if he got injured. But Gilberto, Gilberto Silva ends up being the the deep lying midfielder with Sir Roberto on one side, Janine Pembacano on on the other, and then Kaká behind uh, Ronaldinho and and Ronaldo. Mm. So no place for Adriano, no place for Rubinho. Um and I guess Ronaldinho ends up a lower sort of was that classic Brazilian four two two two. When he was playing deeper, Ronaldinho was able to to play wider to to move out to the left. Here he was very much the second strike alongside Ronaldo, mm-hmm. and I just wonder if if going to that diamond made them quite narrow, um, and and that given. Given the way France played um, with Sagnol and Abidal linking up with Ribéry and Malouda, wh- whether that tactically, in, in retrospect, was was a mistake. Mm. The game started reasonable pace, actually, and it was quite cagey. There wasn't too many clear-cut chances. But Brazil, perhaps slightly more on the front foot in, in, in the early stages. Really struggled with the French offside trap, though. They well, did. Watching it back, I was mm. amazed yeah. how many offsides there were. It was, I mean, it was almost like they'd never played against a team... <laughs> With a remotely disciplined offside trap before, mm-hmm. so I mean, you know, Dominic gets a lot of criticism, but credit to him for for sorting that out because you know they were they were they were incredibly well organised to, to 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 catch Brazil like that. And, you know, it's a it's a huge risk. I know Ronaldo wasn't wasn't perhaps as quick as he had been sort of seven eight years earlier, but he's still quick. He's still Ronaldo. Well, there's still, there's, still there's one offside call like about midway through the first half, and it's Juan, the centre back, who gets on the end of a free kick, I think, or, or a ball from deep, mm-hmm. and tries the most sort of impossible <laughs> like yeah, attempt at scoring, like a flying back heel from mm. about twelve yards out, puts it over the bar, and he's offside, so it wouldn't have counted. But yeah, he was he was happy to see the flag though. I think after that, yes, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was it was as I say, quite cagey, very tight defensively, not not too much created, and and as as. You you were watching the game, Tom. I mean, it, it, it looked you know looking back on the highlights, it, it did look like they were almost cancelling each other out. These two sides. Yeah, it did. Um, I mean, I think I remember even before the game, I was very keen to see how Zidane would play, having having seen those sort of flickers against Spain, and it, and obviously all the talk in the build up is about the you know the rematch of the ninety eight final when Zidane's two goals give France the title at Brazil's expense. And so you wanted to see whether he could he could pick up where he'd left off against Spain. He gets his first touch of the ball after about 30 seconds. He's facing his own goal just inside the France half. I think it's um, Zero Berto and Janinho, two of Brazil's centre mids who close in on him. And he backheels the ball towards Brazil's goal, spins, throws a step over the beach Gilberto Silva, Moves into a bit of space, tries to clip a pass over the top to Thierry Henry and just slightly overhits it. I think Henry's offside anyway. But Zidane is on his game, mm. like right from the start. And again, I mean, I'm sure that we've all had idle moments when you're sort of, you know, scooting around on YouTube and you find yourself watching those little five minute uh, highlight clips of this game. You know, Zidane's best moments. And I think that's, you know, what one of the really striking things. And I've watched quite a lot of footage of Zidane in that game to prepare for this. And he's almost faultless, like the whole game through. And 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 
very successfully sets the tempo and and you make the point about how how well set up France were defensively and you know how how solid the offside trap was and I think that was ultimately one of the key elements in this game was that whereas um, Carlos Alberto Pereira, the Brazil coach, configures his team to crowbar in all these attacking players, albeit in this instance with Adriano on the bench to give them a bit more ballast in midfield. Um, the only players with any real freedom in this France team are Zidane and perhaps to a slightly lesser extent Henri. The two wide attacking players, Ribéry on the right, Manuda on the left, have both got uh, an important defensive brief. Um, you well, know, in moving. a sense, their, their work rate, their reliability allows Zidane... Hmm a bit of freedom because you know that worst case scenario you're going to get the two banks of four and obviously Makaleli and Vieira are as solid as you like at the, at the back of midfield so if you have those two wide players dropping in as well the Dan and Henri can effectively do what they want yeah and it's almost as if it's it's almost as if Dominic is saying not that you know Dominic was any great tactical mastermind but it's saying if you want to indulge players in the team at this level you need to have this amount of Sort of defensive apparatus around them. You need to have two proper holding midfielders, Vieira Makaleli, you know, arguably the two best players in their position at that time, certainly two of the best holding midfielders of the last 10, 15 years. Two wide players full of energy who are happy to drop back and defend, um, and then a pretty well you know, experienced back four. And, and that's what gave Zidane the platform to rove around the pitch, to set the tempo, to speed things up, to slow things down. Whereas with Brazil, you've got, as Jonathan says, this, this untested. 4-4-2 diamond, 4-3-1-2 if you like, they've not really used before. Ronaldinho playing out of position um, and a very disjointed feel about the team. Whereas one thing you could say about France is that, that, that you know everyone knew what they were doing. And I think that's that's one of the reasons perhaps why we do find this slight, slightly cagey opening to the game because France are very solid but aren't committing too many men forward. Brazil have got all these forward players on the pitch but can't really bring them into well, the and game. And they're really reliant on Roberto Carlos and Cafu for wits. And you know, with the best one in the world, they're both in the autumns of their careers. Mm. Are they really going to have the fitness to get up and down on a, a hot afternoon for 90 minutes when you've got your Ribéry and Malouda, two of the more energetic French players, mm. up against them? But also, it's, you get the impression, particularly with Carlos, that even though he is clearly you know, past his best and has lost more than a yard of pace, he's not prepared to accept that. And there's mm. one point in the first half where he gives Willy Sagnol, no slouch in the French right-back position, a sort of five-yard head start and still just tries to knock the ball past him on the outside and get round him. Obviously, Samuel gets back in time, slides in to block the cross, actually b- plays the ball against Carlos and it goes behind for what should have been a goal kick. It's given as a, as a Brazil corner. But again, a sign that, that perhaps Brazil, and certainly that the fullbacks hadn't realised the extent to which they were a little bit off the pace. Well, if we're ready to move on to the goal, that, that sort of leads me quite neatly there. Again, watching it back, it's obviously... France get the free kick out wide and, and Zidane delivers a cross right to the back post and Thierry Henry delightfully volleys home from, from close range. I, I wouldn't bother marking him. Yeah, well, what, I, what, What's Henry ever done in the box? Honestly, Jonathan, I, I was watching it back. The marking, you have... You can't even tell who's meant to be marking well, him. He's so, in so much space. Well, I, if, you, if you pause the, the footage, as Zidane is kicking the ball, you have five French players who go attack it and three Brazilians mm. follow them. It's remarkable. But and I'm, the I'm, rest are all in a line yes. on the edge of the penalty. And I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Roberto Carlos. It is. Yeah. Who? Uh, now, I know we can maybe unfairly criticise Roberto Carlos' defending capabilities. Clearly, he was a good defender in, in his day. But, but on this occasion, 
he is at the back post. I think he's meant to be on Henri, which mm. is a, probably a bad decision, although Henri not noted for his heading ability, but still didn't need to head it. You know, <laughs> that close and it falls to your foot. But Carlos uh, looks like he is sort of bent over, catching his breath, and then just watches the ball and watches this happen. I wonder if he was so knackered, he was just taking a breather. And of course, it's not the time to do it when Zidane's whipping the ball in and, and they score the Henry's only goal. What, the four or five yards out in the end. It is uncontested side with and, volley. And Carlos yeah. doesn't. There's not even. He doesn't even react yeah. to the free kick being taken. He, he watches he's it like he's a got spectator. his hands on his knees. Yeah. Maybe he's adjusting his socks. The ball comes in and he literally doesn't move mm. between Zidane striking the ball and Henri volleying it into yeah. the roof of the net. He's in the same position as the players we're off to celebrate. It is it, for, remarkable. For, but but it is remarkable because if you think about how cagey the tie was and how tight it was at yeah. the back for such a lapse you know those kind of games you think oh it's going to be a moment of madness or a moment of brilliance well I suppose it was sort of both really because it's a, it's a it's a good delivery and a, and a lovely finish but my goodness you know they were given the the freedom of, of the, the stadium to do it in it looks like the sort of goal you might expect a team to score when they're already three or four goals to mm. the good um, which is what makes Brazil's attitude in that in that situation so confusing you know Carlos in particular and also because it had been a game of so few chances yeah. and they're not really I'm not sure they'd even been a proper shot on target up to that point so it was absolutely on a knife edge mm-hmm. and then half of the Brazil you know half of the whole Brazil team switches off and they're, they're a goal behind yeah well they're the margins aren't they I mean the the statistic was that it was the first time perhaps the only time Zidane and Henri had Combined, I think Zidane set up Henri for It for, was, yeah, for the first time he'd ever set up Henri for a goal, which is yeah, pretty remarkable. And what a time to do it. And and it was the only goal of the game. And then and then the rest of the game, you know, substitutions were made. Adriano and Rubinho come on for Brazil. But they just they they just can't force a way through because France um stayed so so stern. I mean, did you did you think when you when you're watching that game you think, oh hang on a minute, right. They're up against it now. We'll see what Brazil are made of. And it turned out it just wasn't enough because France were pretty tight at the back. Yeah, and even more than that, France initially create the better chances. Yeah. I mean, there's a few moments after that. Um, Frank Ribéry gets the ball out on the left, turns away from his man, plays a low cross into the box that Joan almost slices into his own net. And there are a few other mm. incursions into Brazilian territory where France look quite threatening. Well, and on, at the other end of the pitch, there's almost from, nothing. Uh, there's a Dan sort of beats two or three men, slides the ball through for, I think it's Vieira breaking, mm. breaking through from the back they of the side. down. Yeah. And Chouan hacks him down. And, you know, I think a yellow probably was right, but it could have been red. I mean, Chouan ended up having a bit of a nightmare. Even after that first sort of 10 minutes after the goal, in, in that sort of last 10, 15 minutes, although Brazil, as you'd expect, dominated possession, it was still France who actually looked more dangerous mm. and probably should have won it more comfortably. See that. Were you surprised by this uh, verdict today? I'm very surprised to see this verdict to, to come on me because I was not expecting that. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. When I came, uh, they told me something else, and I'm coming. You got an interview there, so it's a big surprise anyway. How is Dominic considered at the time in, in France? I mean, he's so he's he's mainly known in France as as the man who's sort of um, you know, one of the architects of, of Lyon's rise uh, into Liga uh, under the um, the stewardship of Jean-Michel Aulas. Um, and I mean, it's his, it's his first international tournament as well. And there's a, you know, you tend to think about Dominic now and and he is seen as this slightly clownish figure. And that's very much how he's still seen in, in France today, albeit as someone who still does a fair amount of punditry and has, you know, occasional columns in, in Le Keep and things like that. But I, I think at, at this stage... Um, there was a lot of optimism about the sort of manager he might go on to become. I mean, clearly, the qualification campaign had not been had not been you know uh, up to standard. Um, there was a narrative that emerged subsequent to the tournament that, that the players had sort of taken control. That this football that we saw against Spain and against Brazil and, and perhaps to a slightly lesser extent in, against Portugal and Italy was was the product of the players deciding no we're gonna we're gonna sort things out here. But actually, you know, the, the makeup of the team doesn't really change. It's not like the players are suddenly banging on the door and insisting that that you know certain players are picked. It, it, the team doesn't really evolve a great deal from the start of that tournament to the end. So yeah, so at this point of his career, Dominic is is is, is not yet the figure of fun that he was Because the first time I, I had any dealing with him, you know, I'd sort of heard these stories, and, you know, I knew the qualification campaign hadn't gone well and there'd been a lot of criticism of him. But, but there was a lot of me thought sort of was yeah, but French press always criticised the France manager, you know, they 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 criticised Emma Jacquet in nineteen ninety eight. They that's just what they do. Uh but I was sort of before that semi-final against Portugal, which is the first time I'd seen France live in that tournament, um, I'd been sort of, oh, I'm quite interested to see what happens if this guy, he supposedly picks his teams by horoscopes and whatever. And 
uh, Portugal were on first, so it was Scolari, and I can't remember who the player was. And Scolari was at his most grumpy. They refused to do any questions that weren't in Portuguese. You know, it's a World Cup semi-final. You know, if you look around this room, there's about 500 journalists in this room, maybe 100 speak Portuguese. You, know, you have to do this in French at least because that's who they're playing. Ideally English as well. You're in Germany. You might be polite to do it in German. Mm. This was before the days of FIFA simultaneous translation. So we all just sat there for like an hour or whatever, half an hour, watching Scolari and whoever the, the Portugal player was, speaking a language we didn't understand, taking questions in a language we didn't understand. Dominic comes in. They're happy to do it in whatever language you want. He goes out, and I think it was Gallas was up next. And then after about five minutes of Gallas speaking, suddenly you see this sock or a hand like over a sock, like a sock puppet, <laughs> pokes up above the desk oh and starts kind of you know, <laughs> answering the questions. Uh, not saying anything, just sort of, yeah. And Gallas, if it was Gallas, whoever the player was, starts absolutely pissing themselves laughing. And then Dominic kind of sheepishly puts his head up. <laughs> what a lad. And you sort what of thought, lad. he's so much nicer than Scolari. I'm, I'm, I'm massively behind Dominic now. Whatever yeah. the French have said about him, he's not as just cussed and unhelpful as Scolari. And this is before the game? This is the day before the game, yeah. <laughs> and didn't he write a book, Dominic? Lonely at the top, am I right in saying? Yes, yeah, he did. Yeah, I've not read it. Yeah. But I'm sure it's, a, it's on a your to-do list. If his, if, his, <laughs> yeah, if his press conference record, if his sort of post-match TV interview <laughs> record is anything to go by, yeah. It's, yeah, it's probably worth uh, My worth goodness. Read. So, I mean, but, but you're right in saying what you said at the start about this game belonging to Zidane. And it was it, this game was... When people think of Zidane now, they think of a number of things. But actually, this game is one of the things people that, that leaps to mind and, and people often talk about. Yeah, OK, these two goals in the 98 World Cup. And they may mention the sending off, uh, which sadly, uh, uh, the sending off in the World Cup final, we forget that he actually penenkered a penalty in a World Cup final, which only just came off, of course, as it hit the bar and then, and then just went over the line. Incredibly uh, brave or stupid thing to do, depending on how you look at it. But this game, do, do you think this is pretty much where Zidane's legacy lies in this particular match? Yeah, I, th- I think to a certain extent. I think if if it's not for this World Cup run, it's not for this particular performance against Brazil. I don't think I don't think his legacy would be anything like you know what it now is as a player. Um, you look at his achievements with France. You know, ninety eight. Obviously, he's the symbol of the victory in many ways. It, it, his two goals against Brazil that decide the final. It's his face that's projected onto the Arc de Triomphe. Um, he went into the tournament as France's star player as the standard bearer of this generation but actually as Jonathan was saying earlier didn't have a great tournament needed a big performance in the final in order to sort of salvage his tournament which he got Euro 2000 is absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. probably his his most successful most complete tournament on yeah, an individual level yeah, um, but then 2002 is a massive letdown he's injured comes back too quickly France go out early Euro 2004 uh, France lose to Greece in the quarterfinals and Flickers from Zidane, of course, that there's two late goals against England in the group phase uh, in stoppage time and in the opening group game. Um, but and then, but then with 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 Real Madrid as well. I mean, it's it's four years since that incredible goal against Bayer Leverkusen in Glasgow that, that wins the European Cup for Real Madrid. It's three years since he's won anything with Real Madrid, and and by his own admission, the two previous seasons. Um, that preceded the World Cup, he was nowhere near his best, and there was a feeling that he was looking a bit washed up. That you know, it was time to go. That this was the right time for him to bow out. And and 
you know, his performances in, in the group stage in the first two matches before he picked up the suspension gave no indication that this was to follow. And I think that's what was so exciting to see him burst to life um, in the second half of the Spain game and then just produce this you know, performance for the ages uh, against Brazil. And I think, um, you know, and obviously that, that sets the platform for him to then go on and, and, and be the key figure in both the semi-final and the final for France. And I think, I think without that Brazil game, I don't think Zidane would, would sit quite as high in the pantheon of the greats as he does. Mm. And, and, and also, on turning to Brazil, as, as Tom said earlier, it kind of knocked the stuffing out of them a bit in, in terms of the World Cup. They'd won 0 2 6 it was a disappointing end. 2010, you know, Drill Sergeant Dunga tries to do his stuff and it doesn't quite work. 2014, we know what happened there, losing a, a, to Germany 7-1 in, in the semi-final. And then the World Cup in Russia, OK, they were beaten by a good Belgian side and so on. But that Brazil side there, interesting to see, had they, had they have won, maybe Dunga didn't come in and say, right, I'll, I'll show you how to do it. Well, yeah, it. I mean, I think uh, appointing Dunga was a conscious effort to recreate 94. Yeah. Bringing Scolari was an effort to recreate 2002. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think when you when you then think of 2014 and, and just how dependent they became on Neymar, almost not, not just in terms of technical ability, but in terms of star power... If you drop Neymar into that team, I mean, A, does he get in the team? <laughs> and B, he's competing with Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Kaká, Robinho, Adriano. You know, he, the, the pressure's never going to be on him in the, same, in the way it is now. So I don't know if that's something that's happened with Brazilian youth production. I don't know if it's just, you know, the, the way they set teams up now. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that is the last, the last Brazil where even though, I mean, I was conscious even at the time, it it wasn't as exciting as the teams of 82 and 86. Um, but it's a lot more exciting than the Brazil teams you see now. Uh, and then, you know, the great thing with, with Zidane producing that sort of iconic performance is that it is then followed two games later by, you know, the most self-destructive. And th- that self-destructiveness has a sort of heroism about it because it came so close to such a great performance. You know, there was a sense of this is still one of the greats. Whereas I think you're right, if he hadn't had the Spain game to an extent, but but particularly that game, then uh, it would just be, what's this old man doing getting himself sent off? Whereas it was, oh, what's this legend doing getting himself sent off? And, you know, there's Ed Smith in his, um, in his book, What Sport Tells About Life, has this theory, uh, which I, I think he's um, I think he's taking it, you know, the ideas of Ernest Becker, who developed Freud's ideas, and Becker had this idea that um, the because the ego is sort of essentially it's it's randomly constituted that the, we have no control over our coming into being, uh, and what really brings that home to us is the fact we have no control over our going out of being. That the dissolution of the ego is is beyond our control. But if you can somehow seize control of that, if you can commit suicide effectively in the pursuit of your ideals. Um, so I, you know, I think, I mean, I, I, this is what I wrote my master's dissertation on. Um, <laughs> in, on, yeah. on, on Conrad. So you, you, know, you have uh, Lord Jim in the novel, Lord Jim, who uh, dreams of being this great heroic sailor. And then when he's very young, his act of cowardice, he jumps off a ship, which he wrongly believes is, is sinking. And of course, you should never abandon ship. And so he's haunted by this. So you know, he he sets himself up then to be the most courageous. You know, the you know, he he 
he enacts his duty absolutely, and he ends up in charge of of, of some kind of I, I can't remember where it is, but so, some uh, some tribal village somewhere, and leading them in this hopeless charge and, and being killed in the war. But he's leading the charge, so he's killed himself in the pursuit of his ideals. Zidane effectively takes control of a dissolution of his own ego by getting himself sent off, mm. while standing up for whatever values. Well, we don't quite know what Matarazzi said to him, but defending the honour of his, his family, defending the honour of his team. Hmm. Now, it might just be that, you know, the occasion got to him and, you know, Matarazzi worked out the right buttons to press. But whether it's true or not, it's a sort of beautiful end to the Zidane story. And to be sent off in your first World Cup match and in your last one, it's a nice sort of completion of the circle. Mm, and, and it, it would have been better if he won the World Cup again, of course. Well, but, true. But, but he left us with that, that image, Tom, of him walking past the World mm. Cup trophy. I mean, oh my goodness, you know, that, that, that just what an anti hero. You see the Zidane 10 on his back and, and, and off he goes, and he, he doesn't even give the trophy a look. Mm. I mean, I remember watching that game in a, in a restaurant near Covent Garden, uh, which is full of Italian. It was Italian, in central London. So you, you'd expect in central London, um, uh, but supporting France uh, and. When the headbutt happens, watching on TV, everyone's just completely confused because the TV cameras don't pick it up. Mm-hmm. You're, the player's stopped. The referee's talking to the fourth official. You're not entirely sure what's happened. The players are all sort of looking at each other. There's a lot of talk going on. You don't know what's happened. And then mm-hmm. you see the replay. Yeah. And it's just... You, know, you, you can't believe we, it. And there's a fantastic interview. bit of French TV commentary. Uh, Thierry Gillardi, the late Thierry Gillardi, who was commentating the game on TF1, which is the main French TV channel that all French people would have been watching and he just cannot believe it and it's oh no Zinedine oh no what have you done why have you done this not now not today not after everything you've done and that, just that that mm. sense of disbelief and I remember feeling the exact same thing and you know sometimes something controversial happens in a game and you see the replay you think oh we might get a red there yeah. and when you saw the replay it was like that is it Zidane is off that's how this story yeah. finishes yeah. Italy going to win the World Cup well the only doubt was exactly what had been seen and we, we mm. had a long interview with Horacio Elizondo, the Argentinian referee, mm. in, in Blizzard. And there was all kinds of stories that he was told. You know, the fourth official had seen it on TV. And Elizondo denies that completely. He says, Well, there's a bit of a conspiracy around that mm. one. Yeah. Well, Elizondo- Gigi Buffon, if you watch Buffon during yeah. the melee, he's very. Well, what Elizondo says yeah. is the fourth official told him on the mic that Zidane's just headbutt and Matarazzi, you've got to send him off. Mm. It took a long time to say that, though. And. Um, According to Elizondo, there's no way he could have seen the TV monitor because the TV monitor was slightly down the tunnel. So there's no way the fourth official could have seen it. Mm. And I kind of actually, when I thought about it, I think I believe him because how do he know even to look at the TV? It wasn't like he had the TV in front of him. Yeah, okay. mm. The TV was behind him, so he would have had to go back. And, you know, you can see he doesn't. Yeah, that would have been obvious. Yeah. And so what Elizondo does is he, he realises he can't just walk up to Zidane and show him a red card because this is going to create chaos because nobody's expecting anything so that's why he goes over to a linesman to have a chat to the linesman so that people realise something's going off here Mm. and he goes over to the linesman and just says yeah keep focus you know good game it's fine (laughs) and then goes over to to Zidane Uh, by which time everybody's worked out there's something odd just happened why is Matarazzi on the ground why is Zidane looking a bit guilt ah okay and then of course by then everybody has seen the TV replays presumably people have started texting people in the crowd and so, the, you know, it's not that massive shock, but it would be if he had just turned around and showed Shenzhen down the red card. Yeah, <laughs> when you describe it like that, yeah, the calm the referee has to show in that moment is quite extraordinary, really. 
but it was uh, it was a red card. We that we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and an incredible end uh, to Zidane's uh, career. But 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 that game though, Tom, it was great to to reminisce about that game because. The, the guile, the balance, the skill, the technical ability, just the way he commanded that game was 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 something else. It, it really was. I mean, you talk about elite sports people being in the zone, mm. and I think for that entire ninety minutes, yeah. Zidane is in the zone, and and he always played with that that sort of languid gracefulness. Um, but I think in this game, it, it, you know, it reaches an absolute. Uh, an absolute peak and as I was saying it starts with about 30 seconds on the clock when he takes Brazil's entire <laughs> midfield out of the game uh, in the space of about three touches and then throughout the game you know he, he, it's almost if he's taking it in turn to show up every uh, star name in the Brazil team he flicks the ball over Ronaldinho he flicks the ball over Ronaldo there's a roulette of course there's a roulette it's Zinedine Zidane um, on Gilberto Silva in the second half and you know that the longer the the game goes on and the more desperate Brazil get the more he seems to grow in to, to his role as, as as playmaker and I think in in many ways I was watching the game back last night and David Pleat describes it as one of the finest displays of what I'd called old-fashioned inside forward play that you're ever <laughs> likely to see and that's exactly what it was and he, well it is old-fashioned because and this struck me watching it back they're not pressing, not in the mm. way we understand pressing now. Yeah, mm. this is you know this is football just before the pressing revolution. Yeah, and it's amazing actually how I wouldn't say that the game looks looks dated necessarily, but you know you watch it back now, you know thirteen years on, and and, and the pace of the game is completely different. You know that lots, you know there's, there's much less tactical coordination. Um, you know there's no sort of patient building the ball out from the back. You know, as as a routine at every at every goal kick, at every free kick in in, in the in the defensive third. Um, so it it does feel like a bit of a throwback. And I think I think again, bringing things back to Zidane, he's he's unfortunate slightly in that he was perhaps the last true great to come along before Ronaldo and Messi, who've suddenly taken the game back to the nineteen forties fifties stats wise. And you know, you look at Zidane's stats, and, and they don't stack up against Ronaldo's and Messi's. I mean, whose whose stats could mm. certainly the sort of player he was, the position he played. But I think if you take that, if you take that Brazil game, and you watch it in its entirety, and you see what he did, I mean, I think there there could not be um, a more eloquent testament to his greatness as a footballer, um, and he produces it at exactly the right moment. That was the greatest games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. We're back next week with another classic game, so don't miss it. This was a Stakhanov production.